Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. Adam, welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. Good to see you. Good to see you as well, my friend. It feels like uh, we hadn't seen each other for a long time, and then twice in a couple of weeks, I feel pretty special. Well, th- things are happening, and it's good to see you as well. I, it, we go back to, and I did not realize, is 2013, the first Startup Weekend Reno. Wow. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm feeling old. <laughs> I feel like I've been doing this a while now. Uh, I, yeah, it's like for those who are like, wow, Reno's startup community just exploded overnight. I'm like, that's a really long night. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how it always is, right? Like you're a you know instant success after 10 years. It's always that way. But uh, yeah, you, that's right. You were... And you were actually doing entrepreneurial development really in Vegas even before that, right? I mean, you were kind of in that early scene. I mean, you were doing it before it was cool. Yeah, I guess that's a a relative term about before it was cool. But it was – I was working with the Las Vegas Metro Chamber at the time, director of entrepreneurship, uh, in a role modeled very much after the one uh, you you have at EDOT and the work you've done here, and was working with uh, – Downtown Project and Tony Shea uh, and Switch and really as kind of the the buildup of that community and what was happening, a lot of that energy in downtown Vegas, the Vegas Tech Fund, that kind of three special years where this was a, a must-stop spot, which was Las Vegas, and just a blast on kind of seeing community develop and build and see what worked and what didn't, right? Yeah. It's not to say it was all sunshine and roses, I think, as, as people who follow it have known, but the the final result was something special. Yeah, no, it, you know, during that time, I know Brian and I were always looking in Vegas. We're like, oh, man, we what are we going to do? We don't have Tony Shea. We don't have the downtown project. But what an interesting experiment, right? I think, you know, uh, over time, you kind of see – how different ecosystems evolve, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, yeah, it, that would have been a really fun time to be down there. There was just so much energy going on down there at that time. There was, and, and you know, to the point, Tony Shea did some really incredible things and his presence and his history, especially through the 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 beginning of the tech dot com boom and his role in that had so many deep connections that he was able to build this kind of momentum down in Las Vegas which in his absence, a lot of which left, right? Yeah. Not to say it's not there. Vegas tech scene is awesome. It is, you know, where it's at today is incredible. And they're doing some great things. I have some phenomenal friends down there. The work that's going on is great. But what the difference is between that and what we have here in, in this community is it was a much slower build. And I think from my perspective, what kind of has been the crescendo was COVID, uh, for better or worse, and people moving out here in kind of this remote work and people who've always had a love for this community in this area whom you've tried to attract and bring out here. And, and, and if you hadn't been doing that work, they wouldn't have been so open to making that immediate move. They're here. Yeah. And they're staying. Well, I appreciate you recognizing I mean, you know what you're probably one of the only a few people that have kind of seen the whole trajectory of what we've been trying to do and have that perspective of Vegas. And I'm with you. I mean, you know, I, I, the silver lining of COVID is I definitely freed up people to decide to make different life choices and go live where they wanted to live. And, you know, all the advocacy helped. I mean, we, we're still, you know, turning over rocks and finding gold of startup founders and new people coming to town. In fact, um, you know, we just published a report last week and that added up all of the venture money that came into the community. It was over 1.4 billion. It was like 15 X over what it was a year before. 
and almost the same of the year before. So it's it's just it was shocking to me. And then just new founders. It's just a really fascinating time. It, it is. And to think that that wasn't by design, though, right? I mean, it's easy to say, you know, to pat yourself on the back, like, oh, there's one point four billion dollars here. But as you, you know, as you've pointed out and as we've seen, right, I came here because of switch. Right. And the entire thesis of that was bring tech companies to the community, use economic development, use incentives, attract them here and they will spin off. Well, I left the company and, and now building Ledger here. J.B. Straubel, right? You attracted him. You brought him out here from Tesla. What's he doing? He's spinning off building Redwood Materials. And, and obviously, it's easy for me to point to examples of people I know directly, and I'm sure you have a dozen more examples of people who've come out here for a, a whole slew of companies that have been attracted to this community where whether it's a developer, whether it's an executive or somebody else where they've spun off and, and done this. And when you have success, it begets other success, especially in, in a community where people uh, from outside of Reno probably were more reticent to previously invest here. Now, it's not a matter of where are you? It's what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. And you're starting to see concentrations of of talent and industry and you know the old rules of having to invest in your backyard at least at the later stages of deals which now it's hard to know you know seeds seemed to be an early stage long ago now they're huge numbers so who knows it's always getting disrupted but um you know we're just definitely seeing a, a greater share of you know high growth later stage companies coming to the area and you know just to your point what i'm what i love because this feels like this is when you've really the flywheel happens is when you spinouts are happening. People are come to the community, they love it, and they're deciding, you know what, I'm going to plant my flag here and start my company, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to talk to you because you're doing something really amazing uh, in climate tech. So tell everybody a little bit about uh, Ledger. Yeah. So it's Ledger 8760. The 8760 is the number of hours in a year. And it's kind of based off the way that utilities measure things, right? Uh, so, and and Ledger, because it's kind of taking a play on the accounting term of using your Ledger to track things in that level of, of detail. And so what Ledger does, very simply, is we allow people to accurately measure their environmental footprint environmental footprint on a 24-7 basis and to do so with a level of accuracy that hasn't previously been available uh, to pretty much anyone unless your name was Google uh, on how you're tracking this. And in doing so, not only are we making for better reporting, which is great, that's very much the standard and like when you look at carbon accounting, but what excites me and the reason that I love what we're doing is that we're driving action, right? You can't change what you can't measure. And so we are providing the measuring stick and the data for people to understand not just where their emissions are happening, but when their emissions are happening so they can make decisions throughout their organization to reduce that environmental impact. They can make decisions that affect their operational and capital choices going forward. And, you know, we're very fortunate that we've, you know, started working with local and state governments, uh, as well as a lot of Fortune 500 customers and some of the, the big names that uh, a lot of people know uh, and use every day. And we're continuing to grow. But, uh, you know, we're hopefully helping to change the world a little bit here. I think you are. You know, this is one of those things that I've been following for a long time. And in fact, I was like a domain squatter like 15 years ago. I think I had carbon, carbon offsetter or something. <laughs> it's taken a while for the world to kind of come together on this. You know, why now? Like, why is it 
you know, I have my own, you know, we all are concerned about the planet, but there is clearly a shift that's happened kind of at a macro level to make this more important. What do you, what do you think's driving the need for these types of technologies right now? I think the, 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 the desire, I'm not going to use the term need, the desire for corporations today is being driven largely by investors and customers. Uh, investors are starting to require that you're not only tracking your sustainability, right? 60% of Fortune 500 companies today have an environmental sustainability goal. That's up uh, more than 50% since 2017. But I promise you, within the next 24 months, that number will be 100%, right? Investors are just going to require that. You're not going to be able to get capital to run your business without this being a part of it because the risk from climate change is existential. Uh, not just to the planet, but to businesses themselves. And so they need to understand what that impact is. And customers today are absolutely requiring this. And it's not just the B2C space, right? It's not just the, um, I'm shopping at, at Patagonia, which is a phenomenal company and doing the right stuff as a consumer facing, but it's companies like Patagonia who are saying, I'm not going to buy my fabrics from other companies that aren't tracking their sustainability. But that that has gone much bigger. And I, I, I'm calling out Patagonia because they probably were the first. They probably were the, the tip of the spear on corporations who have been driving in this this way. But we're now seeing it from companies, I, I some that I can't even state, that you would be shocked that are now starting to put in vendor programs where they're tracking sustainability and looking at value chain emissions into what they're doing in their decision making. And it's, it's, it's awesome. It is so cool. But it, gathering that data is really hard. Ensuring it's accurate is even harder. Uh, Boston Consulting Group uh, published a report last year, 90% of emissions reporting is incorrect. Um, and so Ledger's solving that problem. We're tracking it. We're making it easy. We're helping use this information to make it actionable. And the shift uh, has come from the markets itself, right? The science has been there for those yeah. of us who believe in it. It has been there. Yeah. It's the markets that pushed it. What I love, I mean, I just, you painted a beautiful picture. I mean, my, you know, my sense of it is you had these, you know, I, I hate to call them activists, but really they kind of in the, in this state space, they acted as activist companies like Patagonia, always pushing out 1% for the planet, doing all that. But what I heard you say is it's really becoming more institutionalized. It's going down the business to business channels, through the supply chains, through the investors. And then of course you have the consumer. So like the entire, you know, business ecosystem is changing and making this important, which is a phenomenally huge opportunity from a, from a, uh, you know, evaluate or from a market cap perspective. I mean, if even just a small percentage of the companies took this on, that would be a trillion dollar industry at some point. And if you look at the energy transition, uh, overall, right, which is in and of itself, its own, its own momentum, its own revolution, right? It's, it's, it is dramatically larger than the dot-com uh, revolution in that dot-com phase because there's, to your point, so much institutional money into renewable energy assets, the hard physical assets, into durable goods, into technology like ours in the software space for tracking and accounting this. The the energy transition economy is going to be the – and Larry Fink talked about this actually in his, in his uh, uh, shareholder uh, memo just uh, earlier this year in 2022, there will be more unicorn companies created in the energy transition than at any time in history, wow. right? So to your point, that's that's the space because 
everybody's getting on board because we we have a choice. No, we have to do it. And you, you see it, you know, obviously we dive into the science, but you see it everywhere. So what about on the technology side? I mean, what, you know, what I heard you say is you, you know, first reporting, it's kind of table stakes, but the power is to make actionable decisions, which, you know, as large corporations make decisions that will flow down and change lots of things. Are there other technologies that have come into play? I mean, do you need better sensor technology or other things? I mean, was there like, you know, is there just kind of a, like a perfect storm of things come together for this? Yeah, there's a perfect storm of things coming together for this. That's a perfect way to say it. When you think about sensor technology and what we're doing, what Ledger, you know, a big part of our work is we're gathering disparate data sources from across an organization. So whether it's your utility data, um, vehicle telemetry data, people have been tracking their vehicle fleets using GPS tracking and looking at idle time and things like this, but they've been doing it because it's kind of a tattletale type of system and they want to understand where their fleets are. Well, I can use that same data to tell you that the idling of the vehicle, what the emissions are from that, right, to understand this. Uh, when I look at trash compactors, right, which today they use those in large commercial buildings to signal when a trash needs to get picked up. But based off the PSI of the trash compactor, I can tell you how full the trash can is to understand the environmental impact of this. So the sensors exist, right? Every new vehicle being rolled off the lines in in, in Detroit or in Japan or Korea, wherever they're making cars, they all have vehicle telemetry capabilities in them today. Nevada, of course. For all the Teslas. Well, you know, I, you know the ba- technically the batteries are made here in the chassis. They're still assembled at Fremont today. Today. I have a feeling, folks, Doug Irwin is going to change that. But, but as that technology is made, the sensors are being deployed everywhere. The great opportunity is the sensors may have been used for, for feature A, right, as a primary use. But now how can we use it for feature B, the secondary use, to understand impact? We're already measuring so much, but we're not necessarily measuring it for environmental reasons. What Ledger's doing is saying, hey, let's go grab all that environmental data, put it onto a single dashboard, create actionable insights, and start running. Wow. So so if I'm a you know, if I'm a sustainability manager or, you know, a business analyst in this area, I could look at, you know, my supply chain that would produce some, you know, millions of tons of carbon, and I could look at my buildings and that would produce some. And so you could get you know, actual insights with dollar value. So if you wanted to reduce your carbon footprint by some X number of millions of pounds, you could, you could associate dollars and, um, and impact all in one dashboard. Is that, is that? That's exactly, yeah, no, thank you. That's exactly it, right? So we track the emissions data, but we also track the financial data so you can understand the cost of the change, right? And and you have both ROI and ROC, return on carbon, and how you look at this. And Today, the challenge on the cost of carbon is, is that there's very rarely an explicit cost of carbon, a tax, right? Um, Canada, Europe has a tax. California has a version of a tax, um, very loose. But the implicit cost of carbon, which is what we were talking about earlier with investors, with regulators, with customers, that is hard to quantify, but easy to see. If that makes sense, right? Like it's hard to say, well, it's going to cost me X, but you can also know, well, if I don't do this, I'm not going to get that deal with customer A. And now I know I have to do that. So we're getting to a place where we can articulate that cost, especially on the involuntary market more and more and more. Same with investors, right? Yeah, I don't report my environmental data or I only report a subset of it. 
Well, that means you can only go to a certain investor pool, which means your cost of capital is going to be higher than having this top quality reporting data, which is going to open you up to every investor, uh, regardless of their environmental stance, which means you're going to be able to get cheaper cost of capital. So the data is there and we're piecing that and building that filling in that 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 gap so people can understand that. Yeah, which I mean it's great to create an incentive, right? Like if you know, obviously the carrot and stick both have their impact, but to be able to create some incentive to say like do the right thing or include climate change in your overall plans. Like you're, you know, this is part of the broader sort of stakeholder capitalism um move, but you know, if you include that then it opens you up to better better terms on your money you know, favorable regulations, things like that. So it's really, there's a, there's definitely a, um, an incentive beyond just, it's the right thing to do for the planet to, to bring on this type of technology and, and know that, know the insight you're getting from it. Yeah. I, I wish that it, it being the right thing to do for the planet and for future generations was just enough. Um, and it should be, let me state that clearly. It should be, unfortunately it's not. Um, and, and, and you, and I get it to the extent that, Everybody has a, you know, in a business or a boardroom has a fiduciary. Uh, but I think when you start articulating the cost, you create that alignment between the fiduciary and the personal responsibility uh, to do the right thing. And that makes it even easier. And that's what we want to do. You know, the people we deal with, I haven't met a single person who's like, you know what I want to do? Destroy the planet. Yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> for, for sure. And I think, you know, that it's just been easy to neglect it. Right. I think a lot of our systems are, you know, like you said, it's hard to actually capture the cost of carbon because it's so it's pushed off. It's showing up in, you know, uh, sea level changes in a country that we're not even connected to. So you don't even see the impacts yet. They're real. We're just not able to totally directly correlate with them. And then in your own business, plus, like you said, everybody has their own motivations and sometimes short termism is a thing like in politics and whatever. So it, it does seem like to me that it needs a sea change in order for it to happen. That's why I was so encouraged when you said, hey, look, it's not just consumers, but it's actually corporates, regulators, investors, the whole kind of value chain is getting behind this in a more in a broad way, which really feels like a sea change to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun it's a fun place to be. And, uh, you know, bringing it back a little bit to to Reno uh, and to this community, if you look at the tech that you know we're, we've been building here, so much of it has been centered around renewable energy, even if it's renewable energy or climate adjacent. I mean, take the Apple data center, right? Yeah. They did the first green tariff in, in Nevada and 100% green energy generated here to run data centers. It's this is a cool place to be because there's a lot of people who kind of share and and the ethos here about doing the right thing, which makes it a lot of fun to be here building this as well. Because even for myself, it can feel very ethereal yeah. when you're dealing with customers all around the world, and you know you feel like you're fighting the good fight, and then you leave the office, and and what do you have? When I leave the office, I'm surrounded by other entrepreneurs and other. Uh, people who are totally passionate about this, and it and it and it kind of uh, it kind of continues to uh, inspire me every day. That's great. I mean, I, there's just something about living in the you know the backyard of Tahoe that helps you really stay. At least for me, it's such a beautiful resource. And just when you you know, if you want to protect something, you want to protect something like that. I mean, it's just it's just a reminder. I think it's one of those things you're constantly bombarded. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a big city guy, but when I lived in the city, you can kind of, it's kind of a concrete jungle. You're somewhat disconnected from nature, but here 
you're not really disconnected from nature. I drive by the river. We see the you know the lake. It's it's funny you say that because it's it's the thing we talk about at Ledger. Like, why does Ledger matter? We t- we talk about this with customers, with investors, and with employees. We said the reason we built Ledger is because we love to play in this planet and we want to keep doing so. We love to ski. We love to hike. We love to snowboard. We love to go out to the beach. We love to go see the world. And we want a world that we can still go see and enjoy and play with, right? Like we're build, we're trying to save the world so we can keep playing in it. That's it. That's the whole mission. Why are you doing it? Want to keep playing in the world, my friend. There's too much fun in being in Tahoe's backyard. I mean, yesterday, I take the kids up skiing. Uh, Mount Rose was closed on the way down. I think there was an accident. We drive around the lake. We go through trucking. It's like, God, could I live in a better place? Oh, it's spectacular. <laughs> you know, I used to commute back and forth to the Bay Area, and every time I would hit, you know, the uh, that final road into Truckee, I would just see in the trees, I would just breathe a sigh of relief. There was something about it. I just And especially when I'd come down on the other side of Truckee and you're falling in the river, I'm like, boy, I'm really fortunate to live here. And, uh, you know, I love the Bay Area, but boy, this was definitely home for me. And I, I really like that mission. You know, it's one thing to, you know, hey, do the right thing. And that can, you know, again, you have difference of opinion, but I'm with you on this one. But it's another thing to say, look, we just love to be able to take advantage of all the things this planet has to offer. And let's do something to support it. I mean, this, even in Reno, this has been a weird year. We had the highest snow concentration or high, wettest December on record. And then the driest January on record, not, not a drop of precipitation in January. That's odd. Yeah. Yeah. And and whenever you deal with people, we're like, well, I don't know how real climate change is. I'm like, I don't care how real you think it is or it isn't. But when you set historical records in back-to-back months that are totally polar opposites of each other, that is an indication of, uh, you know, uh, of a failure of homeostasis, right? Like that is not how a winter should be. We should not have the wettest month on record immediately followed by the driest month on record. That's not how it should happen. And and to your point, for as much as I love living here and, and the difference between the concrete jungles, like we're also the most susceptible to that climate change. The fires are an example. Like I have, my middle child has asthma. We had to leave town for a week and a half because we literally, he was so sick from the air and that's a direct result of climate change. And so how are we addressing this? Because we're also the first victims of, of a lot of this too. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, we we successfully avoided most of the fires. We took I took a sabbatical this summer and went on an eight-week road trip with my kids in the Airstream. It was magical. <laughs> Highly recommended after you have uh, an exit at Ledger. You know, you need to stay fo- totally focused on it. But, but uh, you know, miss some of the smoke, but it does impact livability for sure. And then, you know, not to mention the you know, the, the financial economic toll of all the people and displacement. I mean, it's just brutal. I mean, and it, and the fires seem to be a natural or like a, um, I think it's going to happen every year now. I mean, hopefully it won't be that bad this year, but you never know. Well, uh, even with, I mean, talk about January, right? And I, I, I know we're going down a rabbit hole in a hurry here, but it's like, that's it, right? We have a dry January. We have a dry February. We have, you know, thankfully, normally, we have, you know, some snowstorms in like March, April, and May that come through here. God forbid we don't brace for another fire season. And it's like, you know, what scares me the most is our goal as a society is to stop the change by a, a degree and a half, which means it's not we're not trying to make it better today. We're trying to stave off the worst of, it, yeah. the worst of what it could be. But we're still talking about the fact it's going to get worse. Think about that. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer no, on, this, no, no, on the no, podcast no, here, I'm with you. but it's like, that's why we do what we're doing. I can't, I, I mean, a degree and a half at this point, at one point felt audacious, but then you talk about what we see, what we see every day here yeah. in Northern Nevada. And you're like, shit, I, how do I do more? Yeah. And you know, one of the things, you know, just what this says to me is this just shows, you know, your personal conviction, your passion, which flows through. I mean, it, it's, you know, my favorite founders are the ones that how that it, it, what they're trying to solve in the world is personal. Like there's just something because, you know, you know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. It's hard. Like there are going to be, I mean, you guys are doing great capitals flowing. You guys are hiring. It's, I mean, you got some challenges. We'll talk about that. But um, at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur is not a, you know, straight into the right kind of exercise. It's complicated. <laughs> as as uh, one of my, one of my, uh, my very close friends and fellow executives says, there's a lot easier ways to make a buck than being an entrepreneur. And I'm like, yeah, there are, but there, there's none that I have found that are more rewarding for me. Yeah. So, which I, which is, you know, this is one of the things, this is why I love on working with entrepreneurs. I mean, my, you know, you've seen my business card, my number one core value is entrepreneur first, because I mean, these are the people that are making transformations in the world. And it is hard. It is hard to go from zero to one. I mean, you, despite the best of intentions, it's just complicated. And so I, you know, I always, my heart and my hat goes out to you for, for doing this. And, um, you know, I, I think that passion is what brings together amazing teams and makes things happen. And, you know, I, this is really your first foray into entrepreneurship. I mean, you were, you were an entrepreneur inside of Switch. I mean, you would just change legislation and all that. So just, you know, it's not the, the essence of entrepreneurship exudes from you, but this is really kind of your first in, endeavor, isn't it? Yeah. When I left, I used to be a news anchor, right? Very linear path from news anchor to tech entrepreneur, um, as you can tell very clearly. So after I left uh, being a news anchor, I did start a business and we did video production, nothing that was uh, at scale like this. We produced documentaries and did this. Um, and in no way would I equate that to what I'm doing today. But what I would what I would say is there are things that I draw on from there, mostly by failures at that point. On um, I had opportunities to be able to scale the business and to do certain things that I just didn't understand on how to do. Um, and some of those are lessons that are best learned the hard way. Uh, they're best, they're best learned. They're best learned, not at all. Right. And just being successful. But, you know, in, in that respect, you learned them that way. And, and from there that led me into the entrepreneurship role at the chamber. And then yeah. to your point, it's switch. I was very fortunate to join, uh, at the time, a much smaller company and, uh, to be an entrepreneur within the, within the organization. But the difference to your point between that and having the buck stop with you um, uh, is very different. And it's I, I it's as difficult as anything I've ever done. It's as stressful as anything I've ever done. And I don't know that I've ever been professionally happier. Yeah, that's great. I could just see it, you know, in our conversation, you know, at lunch today. I mean, it just like you just seem in the flow and. Um, you know, it, it feels like a natural progression for you just from, you know, you know, looking at you from the outside, it definitely, I mean, the work that you did with Switch changed Nevada. I mean, you had some amazing things happen. I'm sure that you got much more connected to the environmental side of understanding electricity and all, and you know, that whole, that whole world. And then to come out and launch, I was just, it was just really made me happy to see that that's the trajectory you've gone on. And 
what a what an opportunity. It feels like you're on the front of a on the head of a rocket ship right now. <laughs> yes, I you know we, we talk about it in, in, in very similar terms. We're like we want to make sure that we have a controlled explosion, which is what a rocket ship is, rather than an implosion, which is uh, what you don't want to have happen with your rockets, to say the least. But um, yeah, you know you talk about that. It's Again, it goes back to the the thesis of building a startup community. Attract companies and look for people to you know stay in the community, roll off and build the next thing here, and and you build. That's that's an ecosystem. I, I listen. My success at Ledger and the success of the company will be as many entrepreneurs, you know, how many people spin out of our company and start other companies here in this community as well. And hopefully on the same mission oriented focus, which is why they're here to work with us today. But it's, uh, it's exciting. That's great. I think I should give you a gold star for listening to all my board presentations for all year. I think you were the only one that actually absorbed all of it. You got oh. Oh, I, I did. I did. For those of you who don't know, so I used to be on the, the Edon board and, and Doug uh, every month uh, would present the updates on what's going on in the startup community and looking at venture funding, looking at kind of the work that was going on and very curated, right? The the founders dinners, which are still going on today, but but all of that work and and it makes such a difference, right? There has to be one person can't make a community, but one person can lead a community. And I think that's very much what you've been doing. And, uh, you know, I, I can never, you know, say kudos enough or hat, tip of the hat or thank you, maybe is the right term to use, because if not for you, I definitely wouldn't be sticking around here to be building this business, right? Because there wouldn't be the ecosystem around. There wouldn't be, I mean, I have very fortunate, I have some, some of our investors are local, right? Um, you know, we have a number of investors that aren't local, uh, most of whom aren't, but we have some investors that are local, but it, it took seasoning, it took training to build up a community of people to to want to do that. And so it's it's a lot of fun. And, and not just that, investors who not only want to invest in a startup, but want to invest in a startup that's focused on a mission uh, as, as audacious as ours, right? Which yeah. is, hey, we want to help try to save the world. And thankfully, we have a whole community of people who are saying, hey, we want to save the world. Like, I, I'm so proud to say I'm not alone in this community on wanting to do this. We have an entire community of entrepreneurs trying to do the same thing. It's really, really cool. No, it's amazing. And we were talking before just about the the quality of people that are here that are have that experience. I mean, you've got some people from big name tech companies that have gone through that growth trajectory that are willing to jump onto something new. And and that's, you know, I think that's what has always been kind of happening in the Bay Area. You know, you just get these battle hardened teams that are shifting from place to place. But now that's like being redistributed out into the country. And I'm really glad that you're able to to bring some of those into your orbit. Um, obviously, you, you guys are building a really cr- uh, amazing culture. How, how many people are you at right now? We are, we just crossed 50 people. Wow. That's a big threshold because now you have to get a little bit more, uh, you know, there's a little more regulatory requirements on your, uh, well, n- not only we just crossed 50 people, we'll, we'll soon be making some announcements. We, we literally opened up our first international office as well with six employees, uh, internationally too. So, um, it's, it's going quickly. I mean, we've, um, We've been growing our revenues. We're growing twenty percent month over month, right? Like we're growing quickly. We're growing our employees. We just, and, and candidly, we can't hire fast enough. We have built a hybrid business model, which, again, thank God for Zoom. Thank God for um, 
kind of the willingness of the world to adjust to, you know, I, I wish COVID never happened, but, you know, uh, to find the opportunities where people said, hey, listen, we're going to view how we we work and live differently. You know, that you know, maybe an upside out of this whole thing. And so we've been able to grow remotely. But, you know, I, I remain committed to trying to build as big of a team here locally as we can. Most of our team uh, is re- is remote. We have about a we have 10 employees here uh, out of that 50. Uh, I would love it to be, you know, 40 out of 50 here. I still need to keep some internationally. Yeah, have that. Good. But, right, we, we really want to keep building the team here. Yeah, and, and we will help. I, I You know, I think that the more that people understand what you're doing and, you know, the, the beautiful thing about what you're doing here is – there just aren't that many companies that are really on the same trajectory you are. And I think part of the challenge is helping communicate to the young talent coming out of the university and some of the other talent here, what does it really mean to be part of a startup? I mean, you know, you and I have this experience, like a little bit of equity for me at my first job in college was worth six figures in a couple of years. That, you know, six figures when you're in your 20s, um, like in one big check, makes a difference now. I probably squandered some of it, but nevertheless, it did change the trajectory of my life. And I think that's just such a different opportunity that a lot of people in our community don't understand. And this is why, you know, we're really trying to show people in Reno, like the startup and innovation ecosystem is strong here and that affords you different opportunities to create wealth, to to make an impact. So I think you'll get more and more of your, you'll get to get You'll get your unfair share of talent here is my, my thought. Well, I, I, I hope so. And, you know, you, you make a really important distinction. There's a lot of places where you can make a great living. There's a lot less places where you can create wealth. And it's one of the things I'm very proud of that we do at Ledger's. Every single employee has equity in the company. Um, and, uh, you know, with the investor pool that we've brought in and we continue to bring in, we focus on continuing to refresh our cap table so that we have a healthy employee pool. We want our employees to be vested in this company. We want to create wealth in this community because that is truly transformative. And it's, it's one of the things too, where I'll tell you one of our greatest challenges in hiring We've been, you know, we continue to hire, we're hiring mission oriented people is to continue to expand upon diversity in hiring um, and doing that. It's one of the areas that, you know, it, it is tougher in, in Reno, in northern Nevada. Our community is not as diverse as other communities, but it's something that, you know, I'm very focused on, especially as the company is smaller before it gets bigger, to have more uh, diversity. Uh, and that we do a great job on gender diversity. We really do. We have a, a very great mix of this. And it's not diversity for diversity's sake, but when I've worked in diverse environments, we create so much better conversation. Yeah. We understand the customer better. It's, 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 uh, it's selfish in the best way, I think, because it's the diversity of thought that comes from diversity that truly creates engaging conversations and lets you not be uh, so biopic into a focus that you forget what else is out there and have these deeper conversations. So um, the reason I bring that up is, you know, one of the challenges and we're working with different organizations uh, in, in communities of color is, you know, the big tech companies are doing a great job of hiring them and that creates great paychecks. But, I, you know, if you can get people of color working in companies, no different than everyone else working in our company at this stage to have equity, we can create wealth 
Wealth transforms communities. Money pays bills and it's a great life. Don't get me wrong, right? Like everyone wants a good paycheck, but wealth transforms communities. And that's when, I mean, what is the, 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 uh, the old story about the janitor at Microsoft who drove a Lamborghini to work? I don't know if it's real or not, but it's one of the old wives tales you always hear about, right? And it, 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 it whether it's true or not, the point is the story that the difference equity creates is it creates wealth. And now you look at Redmond, you look at Seattle, you look at the entire convergence of what's going on there. That's because of wealth and spin out. And that's what has to happen here. And I think as you look at companies and you, you have a, because this is your job, you have a whole list of the companies that are moving very quickly, uh, you know, towards that unicorn status and beyond whether it's, you know, like I said, I pick on Redwood Materials because one of the you know companies I know and, and I'm not as ingrained as you are, but you look at this space, the more companies we grow here, the more wealth we're going to create in this community. And as seismic as the shift has been in the last eight years from 2013, from startup weekend one in Reno to today, eight to 10 years from now? Radically different. It's going to be even more so. I, I mean, I, I, I struggle to properly articulate, right? Some of some companies are going to fizzle, some are going to succeed, but we're going to create some transformational wealth in this community. And it's people that are going to stay here and they're going to reinvest and they're going to grow. And I think that while you see this, uh, you know, Steve Case, uh, or the, the founder of AOL and, and, and the rise of the rest philosophy he had for the rest of the country and the communities he was investing in, I think you'll see lots of communities that are going to start having their own tech bubbles. I, I would go so far as say, I bet you Reno uh, ends up in one of the top five in the country. I mean, probably top 10, maybe. I, I'm trying to think Bay Area, San Diego. Like, yeah. It really becomes one of those communities. It'll be one of the the premier startup. It, it's hard to argue it's not today, but I, where it goes going forward, I, I think is. The sky's the limit. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, this is, you know, one of the first things that we recognized was, and that thanks to Victor Huang and all his work at Kaufman, is the importance of building that culture from the beginning. And the challenge of building culture from the beginning around entrepreneurship is that it doesn't it doesn't show up, you know, as flashy as like a big building or another thing. But you really start to imbue that idea of entrepreneurship is part of the ethos. And that's really ultimately what, you know, I think what you see here. It's things are possible here. And you've got really, you've got these amazing examples. I mean, you know, Tesla is a great example. I mean, it was the biggest factory on the planet at one point, or maybe still is. And the fact that they got it, they started building on the day the guy gave him a permit. I mean, there's just like things are possible. It's just this beautiful, like confluence of a lot of different elements that make this place great. And then, you know, big sea change on the side of COVID remote work has added to that. The fact that the you know the investor community is just looking for deals anywhere, like all these macro things have changed, and then it ends up with places that are great to live. And so I think I'm with you. I think that our best days are still in front of us. Name me a better place to live. I can't think of one for me. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the people that like to surf might find some better places, but you know. I say for for my cup of tea, this is it, right? It doesn't get much better than this for me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is uh, this is purely heaven on earth. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I feel very fortunate. And it the one the one thing I keep hearing from people that move here are like people are happy here. 
like people are just smiling a lot. And that, as in like where they came from, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I don't know where you came from. That doesn't sound great. <laughs> it sounds very dark. Yeah, very it sounds dark. very dark. Yeah, I mean, think about this. We're having a conversation. It just, it just hit me. We're having a conversation about the great entrepreneurial community and all the things going on. And I don't know how long we are into this conversation here, but we, got we haven't talked about taxes once, mm-hmm. right? That tells you how much the sea change has has happened here, right? It used to yeah. always be, hey, we got no taxes. <laughs> By the way, for anyone That's listening, great. that is incredible. <laughs> that uh, not to be overlooked, but it's not our lead foot. Yeah. Hell, it's not even in the first few parts of the conversation. It's about the place to live. It's about the ecosystem. And it probably goes to tell you as much that, you know, when you get down to that part, yeah, that's really great to have, but it was never going to be the driver that was going to change your community. Totally. Right? And now the community is changing and it's, it's just, I mean, nobody complains about it, uh, but but it's not what changed your community. It was it wasn't it wasn't no taxes because if that was the case Reno would have had the number one startup community in the world you know 40 years ago but it's because of the things that have happened and and it's it's so funny because I do remember that that was always the conversation yeah. no taxes and it never you know from my perspective it never mattered to this I mean obviously it matters to the startups but the startups don't have any profits anyway so what does it matter like oh yeah zero times zero is still zero or zero times anything is zero like it didn't really matter. <laughs> You know, so it, for them, it, that wasn't the issue. It was around, you know, is there an environment? Can you hire? Can we, you know, can we move quickly? Can we do all those things? Do we have all the smart people in it? And it has taken us a while to fill in some of those other things. But, you know, with with that, with the hiring shift that changes, I mean, all these macros have made it great. And at the end of the day, it's still a great place to live, plus all of that. And, you know, a lot of the major companies that have been moving in here, they're not even interested in, in incentives. Like our incentives at the state are completely misaligned for, for tech. We don't even talk about it and they don't even care because that's not the driver anymore, which is I, exciting. It's I, I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's not great for Stan Thomas, but uh, no, I'm just teasing Stan when Stan's listening, <laughs> Stan. right? No, but, but, but in, and by the way, Stan is attracting an entire sector here for this, but to your point, right? You're attracting them but with a totally different sales proposition and uh, back to our eat on board meetings, right? Where you're in, you know, where it's like, Oh, Doug does have a really important role on attracting businesses because even Edon had to think differently about what it meant to attract and retain businesses. When you looked at the true tech startup space versus the traditional economic development. And I, that's how I got introduced to, well, I got introduced partially through the startup weekend, but really through going through the economic incentive program for switch and to get those economic incentives, um, and and to get that right, but that fit very much in the mold of what that kind of company was. Very different than in the tech space today. It's uh, we were definitely on the forefront. I mean, obviously, Mike, you know, really believing in entrepreneurship. Because if you look at other economic development organizations around the country, they don't all make the same investment in entrepreneurship. And I think they, although the the profession as ecosystem builder and entrepreneurial development has started to become more understood, it's still kind of an, a, you know, an odd thing. And so, uh, you know, I think we've had a, we've had a really good head start in our ability to do that. Uh, you know, I'm really excited about the prospects in Vegas now. I, I think, you know, with Tony Shea and all of that, you had a kind of this big thing and then it, and then it just it kind of faded a little bit. Now you've got a whole new group of people that are taking advantage of all the same macro trends and you've got a good group there. I'm really hopeful that Vegas really finds its stride in this way because what's good for Vegas will be good for the state overall. And I think that will, you know, just to shift that, I mean, 
finally to hear the the talk about diversification is, is great. I mean, it would, it would be great to see more entrepreneurial legislation, all that uh, happening at the state. But those are, you know, I'm a, that's all the stuff I get to think about. You get to think about how do you hire great people? So what is it like a day in the life at Ledger look like? I mean, <laughs> like, you know, what's the culture like? I mean, it, you know, you came in here in flip flops and a, and a hoodie. So it seems like it's a great place to work to me. I'm, I just got rid of my tie about a, two years ago. So, yeah, you know what? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's funny you say that because like. I, I, when we were raising money, I was like, should I dress up? I'm like, no, I'm, you know, they're going to invest in the company either way. It's about the fundamentals. And I, um, uh, you know, I have a colored shirt on just cause I happen to have a lot of polo shirts, but I have my hoodie on and, and I feel like, uh, just cause it's comfortable, man. I don't know. I, and I wear flip-flops cause I have a problem. I could be negative 10. I'm still going to wear flip-flops. Like I got my pair of rainbows. Those things are going with me everywhere. Um, but you know, day in the life of ledger, uh, you know, my day in the life is very different, right? Because sure. I start at five in the morning so I can call my East Coast team. And then I take the kids to school, uh, you know, get them fed, take them to school. Then I work and then I go pick them up and then I go do wrap up with West Coast calls till 8 p.m. Uh, and spend some time with my with my lovely wife. But no, at the end of the day, Ledger, it there's no two days that are the same, right? This is... Uh, it's very dynamic and in a space that's changing. And one of the things that, you know we really preach to our team is the challenge we face is we're doing something that hasn't been done before. So we look for people that are saying, I want to solve this problem. I like to solve problems in general, and this is the one I want to solve. And it's very, very collaborative. I'm very much focused. You know, none of our incentives for our executive team are individual. They're all tied to the corporation, right? Because it encourages working across silos, working together, working in a very team-oriented space. Um, and we drive that throughout the whole company. Nobody has individualized incentives. Uh, because it, well, it makes sense, right? What's the align? What is the, you create immediate misalignment that way if you don't, right? And so we focus on that. We focus on this collaborative environment and your work schedule is your work schedule, right? I, we, we joke like people are like, what's your PTO policy? I'm like, I don't have one. You have unlimited PTO. If I have to manage your time, I'm way more concerned than if, if I have to, uh, than you having all the time off you want, right? Like, so we have so many working parents in our company. In fact, we lean into working parents. The, the old adage, if you want something, if you want something done, ask a busy mom to do it, right? Cause like they'll get it done. And it's like, we, we lean into this. So the work schedule is what it is, right? We work, you know, get your job done, love the problem, love the team, and we're gonna have fun, right? So that's that's a life in the day, or a day in the life yeah. of, of what we're doing here. And so we we're just we just get a kick out of it. Yeah, I I just you know I really appreciate you painting the picture. I mean, you know, I got this real sense of kind of that family friendliness. I mean, I think that's such an important thing. I mean, obviously I have kids as well, and just understanding how to make that work inside the context of a any kind of company. And I think that's one of the best things that come out of this shift in work is. Let's try and align the best we can with the position expectations and the life expectations, because in a lot of cases, those things were misaligned. And I don't think I don't think you're going to get good people unless you really take into account the full like, really, how do you align? What I heard you say is I'm aligning the goals of the planet, the goals of the people and the goals of our company all in one way, which is around, you know, creating full alignment, which sounds 
you just did a way better job articulating what I was trying to say in like five minutes into like one sentence, and I'm gonna steal that going forward. So well, you don't. are. It's alignment. I just wrote it down. I'm like, that's it, that's what it feels to me. I got chills, so it must be true. So I have this, <laughs> you know, weird ability to to yeah, feel those things. I I, 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 you know, I tell people like, I'm like, if you miss your son or daughter's recital for work, you have screwed up, and I'll be mad at you for that, right? Because mm. it means you didn't plan your day to go do that, and that's important. Why are we saving the planet? I mean, so we can enjoy the planet. Exactly, right? And Which so is your enjoy kids can enjoy the exactly yeah. enjoy it with your kids. So like, make the time. If you have to go wake up early to go get a, uh, something done out the door, fine, do that. But be done by two o'clock so you can go to your like, or do it like you'll figure out the time to do it. But don't miss the things that are most important because the second you do, you lose the passion for what you're doing. Right? Like you have to. It's your alignment 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 like align the passions of our life together that's balance yep and that's i mean i my hope is that's what the future of work looks like right i think you know there some people have challenged with the idea of stakeholder capitalism but at the end of the day i think that's ultimately what we're moving towards which is alignment across that i mean obviously investors and people who take risks should be rewarded but you also have to align the impact on the employees the planet you know, all the different, er your suppliers, this whole thing. And that's, um, to, and I think in a lot of ways, you're enabling that. You can only create alignment if you have insights. And so to be able to create insights allows you to actually live to this higher, higher purpose, which I think is awesome. I mean, I'm just, I'm, this is, there's always been something that's felt a little off around the way we've done capitalism, kind of this crony capitalism. And I know we're, I feels like we're in a shift and I'm just so happy to see companies like yours out there leading and, and bringing that into the core of their company. Well, and, and I, I'll give credit at least to my investors and those that I'm talking to, because they're the ones who I point blank tell them, I'm like, my job, I work for the employees, right? My job is to build the best environment for them so that they can take care of our customers. And if they take care of our customers, you're going to be happy. But I need you to know that we're going to keep a healthy employee pool and we're going to keep giving the employees ownership of this company because that's that's an alignment. We need an asymmetrical alignment with our investors. The second that that gets separated, and I've been in companies with the have and have nots, yeah. that's not healthy. And that that it. So I am so excited. And listen, am I building it the best way possible? No, I'm building it the best way I know how to build it, and I'm going to learn, and we're going to keep building better. Right? That's my commitment to my team. Sure. Um, but I also try to build the company in a place I want to work. I want to work at a place that has that flexibility. I want to work at a place where everybody is is an owner. I want to work at a place where everyone's passionate about the problem. And I want to work at a place where people like each other. And we're not going to be perfect every day, but damn it, we're going to try really yeah. hard. And that's my that's what I can do. But see, that's so powerful, Adam. Honestly, I mean, the culture of a company and the core values really come from the founder, right? I mean, and the, or the founding team. And that whether they're... Um, you know, distilled and put on a piece of paper or not, they are lived through you. And that is so powerful. I saw this report from Kaufman that said, even after they, you know, if you remove the founder after a certain period of time, the culture remains the same. So like you are embedding that, that will be the culture of Ledger forever. And I think that's, uh, that's a really powerful thing. And I, and I love your, you know, your humility, you know, obviously you have your experience. There's a lot to learn as you go through this, but you know, as long as you face it with humility and, and that open-mindedness, you'll, you'll navigate through it. I mean, you're building a mountain underneath you as you climb it. <laughs> it's just how it is. I, I appreciate you saying that. And, and, uh, I, 
like I said, I've never done anything more fulfilling, more fun in my life. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be able to open the office door, walk out and have people like yourself and, uh, and this community around here, which has really been, uh, phenomenal support, uh, for what we're building. Right. I mean, the city of Reno is a client, right. You have helped me and you've made connections, right. I, I have investors in the community, right. To be able to live somewhere where I have this, um, helps keep you humble and, 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 and grateful for the things you have and, and allows me to do what I do best, which is to stay focused on the problem in front of me. So it's a lot of fun. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges you guys face? I mean, obviously hiring is hard in this environment and, and whatever, but, but what is, are there some things that, that keep you up at night or that you worry about, or what are the big things that are, that you think about? Hiring is really the biggest challenge, honestly, you know, the other things that, you know, we we as an organization have to deal with as a business, right? When you're building a, a new product in a new market uh, that hasn't previously existed, there's a lot easier ways to make a buck, right? Uh, kind of playing on the same term I used earlier in this, in this conversation. But obviously... When, if you're successful, you hit that J curve really hard <laughs> and, and we're, we're, we're fortunately we're, we're, we're moving in that direction. A lot of things that could go, go right or go wrong here in the next few months that will really help dictate this very bullish on them going right, of course. Uh, and, and everything, everything, everything's pointing up, but hiring is the biggest challenge, right? And, and it's the biggest challenge because, um, on one hand, you have the great resignation, which is having people look for meaningful work, and, and it's a great opportunity for Ledger, um, and and it's phenomenal. On the other hand, you know, going through that process, I mean, we, we've doubled, we went from four employees to 50 in six months. We're going to more than triple that in the next 11, yeah. right? And we're hiring teams internationally, building this up, finding... The right people. I mean, just even if you, even if I only had a pool of the right people, there's still just that, that getting people on board and getting them working. And to your comment about culture, I'm so committed on the cultural piece. How do I make sure that culture continues? Because, you know, if we realize the potential, you know, that we have in front of us, we'll have more than a thousand employees at some point, right? Getting that first few hundred with that culture embedded into what we're doing is exactly as, as you talked about with Kaufman, that that's how it will exist uh, and that the company is bigger than any one person, right? That the culture is bigger than any one person. The culture is of the company, right? What is culture? Culture is, a, you know, uh, a, an ethos of a, of a community of people. And so how do you get that to exist? Just like you were the leader here of a community, the, you didn't, you're, you're not the community, the startup community of Northern Nevada, but you were a leader that helped build it to what it is. And if you were to leave tomorrow, um, Please don't, by the way, very strong disclaimer, but, but if you were to leave tomorrow, I think so much of what you've built has the momentum that it would continue to grow. And that is truly the sign of success for what you've done. And and that, that's the goal here, right? And that's the challenge with hiring is finding the people that can, can build and, and keep that culture and keep that uh, desire to solve this problem and all of these other things moving forward here. Yeah, no, which is, I, I think you totally get that. And what I would say, one of the things that I think is really important is to codify the core values of what you're trying to create. I mean, you know, we did it in the startup deck. I'm a big core value fan, but part of that I think is 
a ways of being very intentional about how to do that at scale. Um, I'll give you my buddy's book on core values, which is great, uh, Core Value Equation. Awesome guy. Because he, he took this um, and scaled up to like eight 900 people and got it through. But but it's just so powerful to like be intentional, to lay those foundational moments and then find ways to reinforce it. Because for you, it's just innate, right? Into the first group around you, it'll be innate. But as it pushes out into 100, 200 people, it's less innate and it requires a little bit more intentionality. You could be describing my challenge with culture. You could be describing my challenge with customers, right? From first movers to early adopters to late adopters, right? It's the exact same principle that exists when going in building a new market, right? Finding those first adopters who intuitively get it, those are the ones who sign up on the platform right away. Then you move to the early adopters who are have a, who are a little less risk averse to try something new, understand the problem, maybe not as intuitively, right? And you get them on. And then you get to the late adopters and man, that is, that is real work. But we, the companies that are the most successful in the world are the ones who, who can navigate all the way through. And it's the same with employees getting from those first employees to the early employees to the late employees. That's a lot of work. And you have a lot of, you, you, you have to maintain a, a, a dynamic nature to what you're doing to kind of roll with that as you go through that transition. So, I mean, there's so many parallels into how you run the business from an internal aspect as to how you approach a marketplace from an external aspect. Yeah. And, and if, if, you know, I mean, it's just the, the alignment philosophy on those things. I mean, they very much go hand in hand as you're growing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to say, I have the utmost confidence in you. Like I'm very excited. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, I feel excited and energized and, and, just know that, you know, this is one of those things that I've always been like, what can I, you know, what part can I play in saving the planet? You know, I can recycle, do whatever. But the fact that, you know, entrepreneurs are out there like yourself are making these major moves gives me confidence that at least we have a shot at at meeting the the target of less than two degrees. And, you know, that we that people are actually doing more than talk about this. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm fired up. I'm excited for you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for everything, everything you do. I, I, I don't know that I've said it enough in this podcast. And, and I, as you noted, have the benefit of perspective, having, having seen both Vegas develop and seen Reno, you know, from your early days of work here to where it is today. So I have, I have the benefit that, uh, that my thank you has, has nine years behind it, uh, and seeing what's gone on here and, and what you've built and that if not for you, I definitely would not be, uh, and, and for what you've built, I would definitely wouldn't be sticking around here because there wouldn't be the ecosystem to do this, right? We still have our challenges. I still need, I still need to get more kids out of UNR. And if anybody at UNR is listening, and even if you're not at UNR, if anybody's looking for a job, wants to change the world, I, that's my only plug on this show. As I'm plugging it right now, come apply for a job. We would love to hire you. We want to keep you in Reno? Let's create some wealth here. Let's go change the world together here in Northern Nevada. So we are hiring. That's my, that's my plug. I just came on here. I'm like, can I plug a movie or something? I didn't even have to eat any hot wings. I mean, God, this is, this is an easier plug than anything. <laughs> well, we'll make sure that the world knows you're hiring in Reno, which is, uh, you know, what a better, I can't think of a better place to build. And I can't think of a better entrepreneur to be at the helm. Adam, it's just a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for all your recognition of my hard work. And I'm just really excited to see where this takes you. And all the great things that come out of it. Absolutely. Let's do this again in a year. We'll do it. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.